0: The Sacred Changemakers podcast is supported by Coaches Business School, helping the world's most caring coaches build a purpose-driven and profitable business that makes a meaningful impact in our world. Check out their unique frameworks and methods to help you transform and grow your business. Now is the time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs. You can do well in business and do good, And together, we can make a meaningful difference. Find out more at coachesbusinessschool.com.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. We have a very special guest lined up for you today. And I was thrilled when Jerry Colonna agreed to join me on the podcast. He's a leading executive coach who uses the skills he learned as a venture capitalist to help entrepreneurs co-founder and CEO of Reboot, the executive coaching and leadership development company, host of the Reboot podcast, and author of two best-selling books, his latest book, Reunion, Leadership and the Longing to Belong, and Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up, both of which I thoroughly enjoyed and have had a profound effect on my work. Now, Jerry draws on his wide variety of experiences to help clients design a more conscious life and make needed changes to their careers, to improve their performance and satisfaction. Previously he was a partner with JP Morgan Partners, the private equity arm of JP Morgan Chase. He joined JPMP from Flatiron Partners, which he launched in 1996 with partner Fred Wilson. Flatiron became one of the most successful early stage investment programs in the New York City area, and Jerry is now based in Boulder, Colorado. Now, in today's conversation, we talk through the deeper aspects of leadership and organizational life, going beneath the surface of what is traditionally thought of as our role as leaders to emphasize the true responsibility of leadership in our fractured times, You'll hear us share our personal perspectives to help you find yourself within our deeply personal stories. Jerry embodies his vulnerability and shares deeply personal reflections and insights on love and safety and belonging, ultimately challenging you as the listener to embrace radical self-inquiry and awaken your better self to address the global challenges we humans are facing perhaps with a little more empathy. Now, this was a truly inspiring conversation for me, one that I hope will help you to expand your perspective on your role as a changemaker and how you can find your role in the global shifts that are necessary today. This is a profound and timely conversation, so without further ado, let me introduce you to Jerry Colonna. Hey Jerry. welcome to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. How you doing, my friend?
0: I'm doing great, Jane. It's wonderful to be here. And in our little banter before the recording, we said it's wonderful to find a kindred spirit. So I'm really looking (laughs) forward to this conversation.
1: Me too. And before we go there, you know, our listeners have just heard your professional bio. And I'd love to kind of go beneath the surface of that a little bit with you and get you to explain something about the real life human that lies behind that. Who is he?
0: Well, I think that the best way to understand who I am is that despite the variety of experiences, there is a through line. And the through line um, in a way, and because you are who you are, I can use this phrasing, the through line actually connects all the way back to childhood wounds. Mm The through line is essentially this. I am one of those folks, and I suspect many of the folks who listen to this podcast are similar, who feel the world
1: mm.
0: and um, sense the world, know how to listen to the world for good and for ill, because as a child that capacity, what in my Buddhist uh, tradition would say is bodhicitta, Mm -hmm. awakened heart, open heart, that capacity that I held even as a child was overwhelming. And as I grew into adulthood, I use the skills and the innate capacity to first be a reporter, then be an investor, and then eventually a coach, and maybe even now as a writer. So, what a curriculum vitae doesn't show is the effect of. Um, the wounds being turned into something sacred and then connecting every single job I've had. So I think that's what doesn't come across in a resume. Mm
1: -hmm. And thank you for sharing that because as you were speaking there, I could feel some emotion arising Mm -hmm. within me from my own wounds and how See what I mean? Yeah, they've driven me. (laughs) They've driven me my entire career to get to this very point now. That's right. Doing the work that feels probably the most valuable work of my career. Yeah. And also feels like it's not about me anymore, right? It's not just about being in a capitalist society and being in business and, you know, going for more profit, you know, I think that Mm. has been a a thread or a theme in my Mm. career and particularly is still alive in a lot of my clients' lives, Mm. but has come kind of full circle back to what might be the most important thing which takes me to our title. And I'm just gonna use one word of it for now, which is reunion, Mm. the process of reunion. Mm. Uh, What does that mean to you, Jerry?
0: I think the way to understand, well, first of all, the first response I would have is, is reunion is hopeful. And I think that's critically important to remember. You know, when I set about writing a book about essentially what is a leader's responsibility in a world where we are at at each other's throats, Mm. because that's really what the book is about. I did not envision the god-awful times that we are in. Mm. I was only focused on the god-awful times we were in.
1: Right, <laughs>
0: yeah, and it's actually gotten worse. And we are speaking at a time when there are wars ravaging the planet, when and I can't emphasize this enough babies are being shot. Mm. Now, we, we, we opened up this conversation by noting. I'll project a little bit onto our shared open heartedness Mm. and the vulnerability that comes and the pain and suffering that can come. And, and here we are in a world where knees end up on necks killing innocent people or no knock warrants end up with young women being shot to death or where bombs fall and accusations of genocide fly around the world. Accusations and interpretations and demonstrations. And so reunion. Reunion, you know, a core message, which I know you would resonate with, a core message of everything I've done in my career as a coach is a very simplistic, but profoundly complex message, which is that better humans make better leaders. Mm. And I like to joke, well, of course, right? Of course. And yet we struggle, don't we,
1: Mm.
0: with having political or community leadership or even business leadership that demonstrates the value of human life that puts that ahead of anything else. With Reunion, it was an attempt, what I did in writing the book, was attempt to find a way to express the moral and ethical responsibility implicit or or, um, associated with the powers that we can hold to heal more than we pretend we're capable of healing yeah as i am want to say these days the era of shrugging our shoulders and saying yeah but that's not what my business is about that era has to end Mm -hmm. because babies are dying if you don't want to do this because the planet's on fire do it because the babies are dying that's how important this is
1: i'm just noticing my own reaction to what you're saying and realizing that it's so easy for me to ignore the fact that babies are dying it's Mm -hmm. so easy for me in my everyday life to just look at my plan for the day, get transactional with it and, you know, do what needs to be done, let's say, for the business, the organisation, the team, whatever it is. That pull to just stay in the habitual, is feels really, I'm not going to say comfortable because that doesn't feel like the right word, but it's an easier option maybe than actually just listening to your words, confronting mm. the reality that we all live within today. So a question I have that's arising, it's one that's been very alive for me during my career has been, how do we inspire change that takes us in a better direction? How do we help people realize that the babies are dying, Jerry? Because it's very easy for people to go, "Oh yes, but that's a conspiracy theory because that doesn't fit with my belief system." Or well, climate change is a conspiracy theory.
0: Hmm. Well, in in a, in a way, the the this circles back to what I laid out in Reunion, the book. So. First thing I would say is that the impulse to, say, cast your gaze downward
1: Mm.
0: into the work that's right before you is natural.
1: Right.
0: It's human. Do not give in to the impulse to wallow in guilt. Mm. As my Buddhist teacher Sharon Salzberg says, guilt is self-lacerating it keeps us stuck. Yes. It actually keeps us from doing the work that we need to do. Okay. So it's really important that when we hear a call to transformation, say babies are dying, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: like wake up, the intent is not to cause somebody to collapse into guilt. The intent is to call forth the better angels of their nature. And to say, "Do you, do I want to leave a world to our children, to our descendants? Where it's acceptable that a migrant trying to cross the Rio Grande has to navigate razor wire in order to feel safe. i'm not taking a political stand on border control i'm just Mm -hmm. noting that this is a world that lacks empathy Mm -hmm. the process where we wake up we're hit with a coconut of wakefulness as the buddhist teacher jurgam trumper rinpoche used to say May you be bombarded with coconuts of wakefulness. So we wake up and we lift our gaze. And we feel what it is that we are to feel, which is suffering. And then, without guilt, we lean unexpectedly first into our own story. And I say unexpectedly because we have somehow been trained to believe that if I look at, say, for example, the experience of my ancestors and their migrations, that somehow that's being narcissistic. Or if I look at my own experience in a world where we could be made to feel worthless or unworthy or irredeemable, that somehow I'm doing the wrong thing. And I argue, it's important to start there using what I often refer to as radical self-inquiry in order to form the basis for true empathy. Not to say that my experience, the experience of my ancestors is anywhere the same as say the experience of your ancestors, but there's enough similarity that I might possibly be able to feel the truth of your story. Now from that place, we then make policy from that place. We then make decisions from that place. If we're a business executive, we choose to spend our advertising dollars from that place. We choose the state in which we want to do business from that place. We choose the policies and procedures that define the structural aspects of the culture of the companies that we're trying to build. From that place of connectedness to our own experience and that of those who came before us, we're more likely to be able to hear, in the words of my book, the stories of the longing to belong of those who have less power less agency than those of us who have power and agency
1: it's so interesting because i had never connected belonging with leadership until october this last year and i went with the pachamama alliance to ecuador and lived (laughs) with indigenous tribes for a couple of weeks and on arriving in the jungle like if we'd spoken before October, I would have said, oh, yeah, I belong. Of course I belong. Right. <laughs> but then with an indigenous tribe like canoeing me down a river to get to the place where I was going to sleep that night, the noise of the jungle, the aliveness around me just brought me to tears, Jerry, because for the very first time in my life, I knew I belonged not just to Mm. the human race and not just to myself, but to the earth itself. I was part Mm. of this interconnected web of life. And previous Mm. to that, I would say in my work, I've never really understood the difference, but there was a deepening in that experience for me. I knew all the stuff in my head. In fact, I'd been teaching it and coaching to it for many Mm. years, but I was not living it in my body. And it feels to me that your invitation in this book is not just for something to know, but it is to really embrace our own wisdom and this lived mm. felt sense of what belonging means. I wonder mm. if you could speak to that a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I think the felt sense is correct. And, you know, as we often know, that the access points for felt sense are memory.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And artistry, like poetry and nature. It's it's the it's the access points that are beyond our conscious building mind, mm-hmm. the part of our our brains that build bridges and skyscrapers and all those things that are wonderful, but not necessarily the access points.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Your question reminds me of something that happened. My first book, Reboot came out in 2019 and the subtitle of that book is Leadership in the Art of Growing Up and I wanted to describe in effect um, what I see as the leadership journey of becoming the person you were born to be rather than unconsciously using organizations to incompletely heal our wounds but to embrace what has happened to us, to consciously choose how we are going to lead. Anyway, that that book landed well and found an audience and still continues to have its own strong audience. And there's this wonderful young fellow. He would probably wince at the term young because he feels old, but he's young compared to me. He's a (laughs) whippersnapper. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Justin Scott Campbell, who uh, is a coach who does a lot of work in the DEI space. And he wrote to me a phrase that I've since adopted, which is that inclusivity is the felt sense of love, safety, and belonging. And I think that that is profoundly important. Because what is it that we're lacking? See, if we, if we can inculcate the kind of empathy that I'm talking about, then the programs and policies that we as coaches endeavor so hard to help organizations embrace and enact will be rooted not in an intellectual best intention, or at worst, a performative tick the box effort, but be rooted in that empathetic connection that says the way I can create the highest and best possible organization where brilliant people can do the best work of their lives, because isn't that what we're all about? If I can engender that sense of inclusivity as the felt sense of love, safety, and belonging, then I as a leader am using the power granted to me in the best possible ways. Remember what Peter Parker, AKA Spider-Man's uncle said to him, right? With great power comes great responsibility.
1: Amen. Yeah. And it seems to me that this is something the world is crying out for right now. Yeah. It seems to me somehow we've defined organizational life and business in ways that, well, in certainly in some organizations are completely devoid of what you're speaking to here, because there's values based on, you know, a different set of 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 ethics and values and really, I mean, one of the things I often think about is when my clients are just in this single track for more, you know, we might be doing Mm. a strategic vision statement or something. And, and I just often think, well, we could just put more in capital letters be, you know, in the reception area, because that's really what you want, you know, at the end Mm. of the day, just more at any cost. Mm. But like, when you look out into the world today and you stand firmly with your message, I love the, I think, I can't remember who it was that said that, you know, give me a place to stand and a lever and I can change the world, mm. <laughs> right? Mm. <laughs> Archimedes. Feels, yes, that's right. Archimedes. It feels like that's what you're This is what the threads of your life are bringing you to with this work. It's almost like I could call your work an invitation because I've been following you for a while, but it actually, from reboot to reunion, it feels a little Mm. bit to me like you've got stronger in your ground in a way. It feels Mm -hmm. more like a siren call now. And Mm. I don't know if you'd describe it in that way, but what is it that's deepening in you? Because I intuitively felt it in the difference between the two books. And I just Mm -hmm. wonder, like, what is your work in service of, Jerry? And how is that deepening and strengthening as you follow your own path?
0: Well, first, I just want to express my gratitude for you perceiving that. Um, I think it's only been my editor who was the same editor in both books who, after reading the first draft and giving me far too many editorial changes, (laughs) um, (laughs) she got 30% of the book. (laughs) What she said was, uh, you are standing on firmer ground. Mm. Yeah. And I think that that is right. if I were to give voice to why, there's a couple of things. It, it is not a siren call, it is a clarion call.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In yeah. the sense that um, we are in trouble. We are in trouble as a species. And I'm sorry if that sounds grandiose. Um, and I, I do not put myself in a position of saying, I have a species-wide solution. I do not. But I have lifted my gaze from the feet in, from the two feet in front of me. And I acknowledge that as a species, we are in trouble. We are at each other's throats. The, the real call to action, though, as, as you read in Reunion, was from my daughter, who put... I'm sorry. <clears throat> uh, it's hard for me to talk about because the responsibility I feel to uh, my children and my players to be named later the yet-to-be-born grandchildren is profound she puts her body on the line she puts her heart on the line she's a teacher for youngsters She was a protester after the murder of George Floyd. And like any good daughter who is on to the ways in which her father can believe his own nonsense, she would challenge me and say, dad, it's not enough to be an ally. You have to be a co-conspirator. It's not enough to be a sensitive white cisgender male, You actually have to lean in and do this work. God bless. Because that's the real call. What is the world that we, all of us who are listening to this podcast, or thinking about it, what is the world that we will leave behind? You know, the difference, you noted the difference in my writing. I feel myself slipping more and more into my own elderhood. It's not that time, is, time has passed, that is true. But it's not that I feel mortality, although I'm always aware of that. It's that I feel a responsibility as an elder. god gave me a voice and an ability to string a couple of words together in such a way that people actually listen what am i going to do with that if not to leave a world or to attempt to induce more love safety and belonging what was the point of my life if not that that's the difference between the two books And that is the work that I set myself to. This is my life's calling.
1: And that makes perfect sense to me. It really does. And some of our community know that I had a similar experience. When Mm. my first granddaughter was born, I was at the birth with my daughter. I was the one who held her. I was the first person Mm. to hold her. And what everyone in the room thought was grandma tears, and they were to begin with, Turned into a bone deep sadness because my daughter's married a Peruvian guy. Mm. So there I am with holding this little soul that's, you know, Hispanic and female. And this was not right. the world I wanted to bring her into. So I completely get the call. And I also get the fact that it feels like a clarion call. There's an urgency now yes. that we all need to listen to. And Find our place within, I believe.
0: Look, there, there are those of us who are privileged to have a voice. Yes, exactly. And a platform. You know, we're, we're talking together on a podcast, so we both have microphones, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> metaphorically and actually. We have a responsibility to use those platforms, to use that privilege to, to try, Yeah, even knowing that we will fail. Yeah. You know, if you remember from Reunion, one of the epigrams, the one from chapter seven is from the Talmud in which Rabbi Tarfon says, it is not up to you to complete the work, but neither are you at liberty to neglect the work talk about clarion call, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're privileged in the work that we do. People listen to us damned if I know why, but they listen to (laughs) us. (laughs) Right. Um, what are we saying to them?
1: Yeah. You asked a question in reunion that I thought was incredibly important. And it was, do we do inner work only to heal ourselves? <laughs> and it reminds me of like even decades ago, in the late nineties, going into organizations as I did and trying to convince, it back then I used to just call it leadership development from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And people are like, are oh, we done with the navel gazing, Jane? Can we get to the real stuff now? Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why that question resonated with me so much. Mm-hmm. Because it's one I've sat with, Jerry. And it's something that's crystal clear to me that absolutely we do not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, if we do, it it that's really narcissism.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, Look, um, do we sit on the meditation cushion to get better at sitting on the meditation cushion? Of course not. Mm -hmm. Do we work out in the gym in order to be better at working out in the gym? Of course not, right? We do these, 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 Mm -hmm. these practices for a reason that's external to the moment. Right, we sit in meditation so that we might inculcate a sense of equanimity throughout the rest of our day. We struggle through a conversation with our partner, or spouse, so that we can arrive at a place of deep sense of love and safety in the relationship. We look at the way we are constructed as adults so that we can minimize the harm that we do in the world. We minimize the harm that we can do around ourselves so that we can create ripples of safety and belonging as it goes out. You know, in the work that we do, how many times are we called in because of quote, toxic leadership practices? Oh, let me tell you. you got to coach this person because he's really toxic right she is doing this and doing that and so we chastise right we wrap their knuckles with a ruler we say don't do that bad 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 and nothing changes
1: yeah
0: right the real transformation begins with holding up a mirror and saying do you see what's going on here Where did that begin? What are you seeking to change with that behavior? What would be the benefit to you if that behavior changed? How would you feel if some employer treated your child the way you've treated this person? Okay, now we can do some work because you kind of cut through all the defenses and all the structures. Mm.
1: And it seems to me there's a very clear line as you speak about in your book from kind of doing our own inner work and also that helps us align with overcoming systemic othering as you speak of. So could you uh, help our listeners understand a little bit about what you mean by systemic othering?
0: (laughs) Well... To give credit where credit is due, I first heard the term by reading the works of John A. Powell, who I believe is the founder and the director of the Center for Othering and Belonging out at uh, UC Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And as I internalized that word, othering, it's, it's an encompassing term that draws a through line between anti-black racism or connecting uh, patriarchy, white supremacy, anti-Asian racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, you know, all of the ways in which we make those who are not in the dominant space less than. Mm. Because this might be, the way the Buddhists in Myanmar treat the Rohingya, or uh, Hindus in parts of India treat people of the Sikh faith. It, it, it um, It is this weaponization of tribalism. This is my tribe, these are my people but instead of allowing you and your people to simply coexist and be celebrated, hey, look at you people, look at, look at what you do, that's fabulous. <laughs> instead, you are less than, and you don't belong. And so belonging becomes the oppositional force by, by bringing our attention to that notion of beloved community, whereas Bell Hooks, the poet, the late Bell Hooks said, beloved community is formed by the celebration of difference, not the, not the masking over of difference, so that that which binds us together in a reunion can then be elevated because the things that bind us are quite powerful. We all wish for love, safety, and belonging. That binds us. Hmm. We all want our children to grow up. Let's just pause there. We want our children to grow up, <laughs> right? Yeah. We don't want them to be murdered going into the fourth grade right. or the last day of school before a summer vacation, as what happened in Uvalde, Texas. And yet within those that similarity of experiences are wonderful differences that actually can bring us right back into reunion.
1: It's so interesting because one of the big differences I noticed being in Ecuador with the indigenous was um, there really wasn't any othering happening in their mm. conversations. As we were welcomed into the jungle, we were immediately recognized as family. And one of the women I was with was very concerned about living in the jungle and not having a structure to sleep within, because mm. <laughs> mm. we just literally had mosquito nets. Mm. And she was like, how... There's Jaguars in this region. How are they <laughs> not gonna come and like attack us in the middle of the night? And the and the 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 snakes and you know the anacondas and all of this. Mm. And it was really interesting the response from the elders of their tribe. They turned around and went, Oh, they know you're here. We've told mm. them. You're invited mm. in. Your family. Mm. They they won't attack you. Mm. And it was like even the other species of nature, the jungle, they talk a lot about the spirit of the jungle, but there was no othering in their path. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, um, uh, I was at Wyan Censer, and the chief there had won an, an award and was being invited into the Western world to receive his award. And he didn't understand it. He was like, I don't get this. Like if I'm gonna receive an award, I need to bring my whole community with me and the rivers and the forest and the rain and the wind because without them, I wouldn't be. How Mm. can I I be awarded an award? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's very interesting the way that othering feels very endemic in our society you know like there's me and then there's you out there and it's mm-hmm. almost like we've become hyper individualistic in the way the lens that we look through life as
0: i i think the hyper individualism and and johnny powell speaks to this um in many of his works is is a profoundly challenging uh concept and mm. i would say it goes to it fits along with the American myth of exceptionalism. Mm. You know, the darker side of the myth of exceptionalism is we are the exception, which denies, th- there's a word that I began using as I was writing Reunion that I found find deep resonance with, kinfolk.
1: Mm.
0: Kin. Yeah, the You know, um, because the word family is an important word, and I, I appreciate its application to encompassing mm. uh, all, but I personally prefer the word kin, mm. because at least the way I internalize that word, it it is both it encompasses both sameness and difference there are profound similarities between myself and my kinfolk and there are profound differences Mm -hmm. and those differences are wonderful I was born in Brooklyn I live in Boulder Colorado i'm kind of an odd duck who's got a business background and a buddhist background and a psychological background and yet i'm speaking to someone who lives in columbus wasn't born in columbus obviously columbus ohio has a granddaughter whose father was peruvian is that right yep And so we are kinfolk, and yet we're different.
1: I think you're speaking to something that's really important, which is, you know, and and we've framed it as the, the othering, but... You know, coming from my own country of England and arriving in the United States, not just to work here on a brief visit, but to actually live here, you know, taught me so many things about othering because Mm. I was so different. The culture shock was real (laughs) and it lasted for about 15 years, but it was absolutely real. And... Mm it was so uncomfortable in many situations because at my age, people expected me to understand the tacit knowledge in the culture. They expected me to know where to go, right? Right. And of course I didn't, but it it feels to me like if we could just believe that we are kin, just that one simple belief. That's right. You know, and I kind of would couple that and I'm going to bring this into the conversation. We haven't spoken about it. But the other thing that I noticed in Ecuador was there was no ownership. Mm. The tribes didn't own the jungle. They didn't own their homes. They didn't Mm. own each other. Because somebody actually said to me, how can you own the jungle? That's like trying to own the rain, Mm. (laughs) right? (laughs) So couple that with this idea we have that we own America or we own England or we own China or whatever.
0: Or England owns yeah. this country, yeah. this, this yes. land. Or, yes,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, those two things to me feel like they would make such a, it's a big, it's a small shift in perception, but a huge profound difference in the way that we relate to life. Mm-hmm. It's, could it possibly be as simple as that because it feels like raising consciousness up to like the unity or the spiritual consciousness could it really be a challenge that's just a challenge in consciousness
0: i think that um as i give it some thought i think the notion of property Mm. I think that's what you're getting at, mm. and I and ah. you know with a kind of limited um, understanding of the principles and philosophy behind property, I think you may be on to something as a source material, but I think that um, even more basic behind the notion of that is a notion of disunion right right because in order for me to own this property there has to be land to which i do not belong right right in right. order for or land that to which you don't belong mm. and you know and and think of what i just did there there's a subtle shift which is mm, we belong to the earth, the earth does not belong to us. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. You know, um, one of my favorite poems is by Joy Harjo who is the, uh, poet Laurier for the United States. And the poem is called Remember and she talks about remembering your birth and remembering the stars under which you were born and effectively the stories behind all of those stars and there's a line in there where she talks about remember the earth you are earth red earth brown earth yellow earth black earth white earth you are earth we are earth and beyond the mysticism of our connection to nature, there's something really profound in that message, which is actually we belong
1: with each other. We are kin in this great sort of belonging. Mm-hmm somehow that feels that message has been lost in the modern world.
0: And that begs the question, what does it serve to forget that message? Yeah. And I think it serves our fears. See, if I can own it all, then somehow I'm going to be safe. If I can amass enough toys and things, it's like what gets lost is the concept of enough. I am enough. We are enough. We don't have to amass. You know, you started off by telling the story of your mission statement and the client whom you said, we could just put the word more up there. Right? What is the fear that caused you to say that to the client? What is the fear that they had? The fear that they had is that they don't have enough.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Whereas the, the livable, life-giving, sustainable mission statement would be, I've got enough, I'm okay. Right. Here, you want some? Cause I've got enough.
1: Yeah. Right." i'm loving this conversation because in many ways i'm noticing how we're going beneath the surface of transactional business to really Mm. get to the source of what can really shift the needle in leadership Mm. and organizational life which i think is so needed Mm. so jerry i'm noticing the time here so i just want to bring you to our final question which is if there's something you would have liked to have shared with our audience today, perhaps we haven't managed to get to it, or maybe it's just some final words of wisdom. What might it be?
0: Well, i mentioned bell hooks before. So let me quote from one of her poems and then add a little info on that. So the poem is called when angels speak of love and she writes, When angels speak of love, they say, all things are union and reunion. There is no separation. There is no end to paradise. Now, as I often say about that poem, it's an instruction manual. What the late Bill Hooks told us is to listen to angels speaking of love. For heaven's sake, listen to the angels speaking of love. That's where the hope is. That's where the reunion is. That's what our task is to do. Start there, then do the work that you can do. That's yours to do.
1: Thank you, my friend. This has been just a sublime conversation that I've really enjoyed. And I know our listeners will have learned so much from you. So thank you so much for stopping by today.
0: Well, thank you for having me. It was a delight.
1: Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all of the resources and the links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. A big thank you to the members of our Sacred Changemakers Inner Circle, who are our podcast sponsors, and also our extended community, who are helping us to make a global impact aligned with the United Nations development goals, all visible on our website. And if you're looking for more soul in your life and business, if you have a sense that you too have a calling, maybe you're here to make a bigger impact or simply connect with others on your change-making journey. If our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. Again, you can find out more at sacredchangemakers.com. But for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.